0: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com acquire. That's linkedin.com acquire. Terms and conditions apply. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. This episode is brought to you by HipDial, the easiest way to make conference calls. If you ever need more than two people on the phone, you give them a number, no pin. You don't have to sit and wait on an empty line with crappy music. You get a text message when anyone joins. It's very easy, relieves just a bit of the headache of life. And you can get a free month by going to hipdial.com, H-I-P-D-I-A-L.com forward slash Tim. Take a look, check it out. And our guest for this episode is Jason Silva, a friend of mine. I first reached out to him for advice related to television because he is very well known as the host of Brain Games, which I believe is the highest rated show on National Geographic ever uh, to be broadcast. Uh, But he's much more than that. Uh, He's he's very international, born in Venezuela, and you could call him a performance philosopher. What on earth does that mean? You'll find out. Uh, He is a filmmaker. He is one of the most spectacular speakers I've ever seen, and he has been called by The Atlantic a Timothy Leary of the viral video age. And we will learn exactly what that means, exactly who he is in this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Optimal
1: (laughs) Minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a perfect time. What if I get the eye I'm a cybernetic organism living tissue over metal endoskeleton. The
0: All right, Jason Silva, welcome to the Tim Ferriss Podcast, the nascent fetal Tim Ferriss Podcast. And I'm really excited to have you here to, to chat. This is obviously going to be a meandering conversation like all of my conversations are. But, um, I, I, want to introduce those people who may not know you to your work because I find it so fascinating what type of work you've carved out for yourself. And I mean, the Atlantic has described you as, you know, the Timothy Leary of the viral video age. I'm not sure if that really does credit, full credit to, uh, to <laughs> what you do, but, uh, you are really, I mean, a modern-day working philosopher, for, for lack of perhaps a better description. I'd be curious to know how you explain what you do or answer the question, what uh, What do you do?
1: Yeah, well, I, it's interesting. I was having a conversation recently with a writer uh, that I really like, and she said that I was addicted to cognitive ecstasy. So basically, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I I often describe myself as an epiphany addict. And what I mean by that is that I I feel that I am most alive, and I think most people can relate to this feeling, I feel like I am at my most alive when I have these profound moments of just kind of revelation and understanding, these moments when the gestalt is revealed, when I see something in a new way, when a pattern is revealed. You know, there's that great Isaiah Berlin line that says, to understand is to perceive patterns. And so I guess you could say that I'm an autodidact, and I'm a lifelong learner, and I'm very curious by nature, but it's not just it, it's mostly about where I arrive when the moments of curiosity finally deliver, right? So again, that cognitive ecstasy. And so my work, my content, the media that I make is a direct reflection, I think, of these obsessions and sensibilities, the best incarnation of which now is Shots of Awe, which mm-hmm. is my web series, which again is is a kind of stream of consciousness Orgy, if you will, like I kind of go and, and delve and rant and riff on a variety of topics that have to do with maybe futurism, existentialism, metaphysics, you know, the technology, the co-evolution of humans and technology. I mean, I guess basically anything that I'm reading about or thinking about that is leading me to these headspaces of wow is what I try to capture with shots of awe. I know that sounds like a mouthful, but that's really what it is. It's just my best, my best attempt at, at sort of dealing with my obsessions and meanderings through through media as the output. You know? Well, I,
0: I, I, for me, there are a few things that really jump out and have jumped out about your work. The first is a lot of people would consider their themselves lifelong learners and autodidacts, but you're really good at connecting dots that perhaps uh, have not been connected publicly before uh, and drawing connections that leads other people to have these aha moments. And I remember we were chatting a few weeks ago, uh, obviously have have been uh, very eager to learn from your experience uh, hosting on television. I mean, you've done Current TV, Brain Games, obviously, which has been a huge yep. hit for National Geographic. You're one of the best presenters, I think, on television. I really believe that. And not only that, but you're one of the best presenters I've ever seen on the stage, uh, and, uh, I, you know, I recall seeing, uh, watching your presentation, We Are the Gods Now, uh, from the Festival of Dangerous Ideas. And I just remember thinking to myself the whole time, I could not do that. Like, how does this guy <laughs> speak so fluidly as you sort of slalom through these different, uh, subject areas? How did you, how did you hone the craft of presenting and teaching really is i think how i look at it but you're so damn good at it how how take us back uh yeah well i mean is this just a and there are natural gifts i mean are you is is that did you have a natural gift for this type of thing how did it come about
1: Wow, man. I, I uh, Thank you so much, first of all, for the incredibly kind words and, and observations. But it's interesting because hearing you just now, just the way you even formulated the question, you seemed like you were in a flow state. Like you seemed like you you started off somewhere and you went on, on these descriptions and then eventually you brought it back. And then you asked me the question, which was great. And I often tell people that, that, that what I just noticed in you is pretty much what I try to create or to deliver or really to induce in myself when I'm talking about ideas, which is to, ha- to go into a flow state, you know, you're probably familiar with Stephen Kotler. Yeah. He, uh, so he, he just wrote his new book, The Rise of Superman. It's all about how athletes seem to have honed in. They seem to have hacked flow, essentially. And of course, flow is connected to states of uh, maximum, optimum human performance. So, of course, extreme sports athletes are really good at doing it. That's why they're able to push the envelope of what's possible in the sport. And, you know, these flow states have to do with, I guess, with the skill set, finding the the space, the opportunity to fully express itself. After you've achieved your 10,000 hours of practice or whatever, you get to this kind of no mind state, you know, where you're kind of hyper focused. But at the same time, you're not all there. You know, you get out of your own way, so to speak. And I think for me, my sport maybe is this kind of verbal Verbal wordplay, like improvisational wordplay is, is yeah. kind of my my sparring. it's my, yeah. my freestyle scheme, you know and and in this whole search for the elusive fugue state known as flow, there's been a, a lot of science recently. They've done fMRI scans on freestyle rappers when they go into these flow states. and of course, freestyle rappers are literally doing stream of consciousness. they're, they're they start rapping about a topic and the whole thing is an unscripted, flow. And they compare those fMRI scans with the brains of a rapper doing like reciting memorized lyrics. And what they found out is that a part of the brain responsible for self editing, I think it's the lateral prefrontal cortex, I might be wrong, but a specific part of the brain responsible for self editing seems to go dim. So whatever it is that's in there in their subconscious is being served up to their frontal lobe, like that scene in the movie Limitless, when the guy right. takes the pill for the first time, and all of a sudden, everything he's ever read, every half-read magazine article, every book, every TED Talk he ever s- sat through, everything that he never even thought he had registered to full memory gets all of a sudden served up by into by his subconscious to his frontal lobe, which is creating a cocktail of the necessary, useful information that it needs at any given moment. So I think that's a perfect description of a flow state in rappers in athletes in, in the guy from the movie Limitless and I think that for whatever reason for me it's always been words words directly related to what I am thinking words that connect to my musings and explorations at any given moment and you know to go back to my childhood, I, I my mom is a teacher, so that probably had a lot to do with it. She taught high school English literature, and she was, you know, an incredibly celebrated teacher that transformed the lives of a lot of students. So I grew up in that environment, right? I, mean, I was surrounded by her poetry books, and her instruments, and her sculptures, and so that was the the fertile ecology of ideas that I was that I grew up in. Number one, and then yeah, in middle school, I used to often, I was I was actually a timid kid. I mean, I still am. I'm a, I'm more of a site specific extrovert, but by nature I'm sort of I'm sort of timid and reserved, except when it comes to ideas that engage me, and then I come alive. And then I used to win, you know, the public speaking award or the the creative writing award. It was always when I was engaged. If I wasn't engaged, I was actually shut down. How you know? how early was this? This was uh, grade since sports, like, like you yeah, know seventh, yeah, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I was already like winning in like, you know, debate class or or the public speaking type of stuff was what I was recognized for. But it was usually it had to be sentences that had fire ideas that had fire. Like it wasn't that I was lecturing about something that I had no interest in. So it wasn't really about drama class. It wasn't about remembering a monologue that, that didn't tickle my fancy. It was more about me digesting something that was compelling and then it coming out in remixed form using my, my sort of my, my word And you were, uh, where were you born and raised? I grew up in Venezuela and, uh, I lived in Caracas, the capital until I was 18. And, uh, I grew up bilingual. Like I basically in my house, they spoke English and Spanish at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I went to a a Spanish speaking elementary school and then first, seventh grade and on middle school and high school, I went to an international American school in Venezuela. So.
0: And, and, you in college. Moved, college. and then, and then you college in you the States. In college in the States. I was in Florida?
1: Yeah.
0: University of Miami. Yeah. Film yeah. and philosophy. Yeah. Uh, well, that, that seems to be one of the rare instances where what you studied in school <laughs> ported yeah. directly to what you're doing now. <laughs> I, I was, East, I was yeah. East Asian studies. I guess one could argue that it has some role in in the things that I've done up to this point. But what um, I I, uh, I wrote down something you said to me on the phone a few weeks ago. I was... I had uh, gone skiing with a few friends who were much better than myself and I uh, had ex- had explained uh, how I learned what tomahawking is, which is uh, really violently just getting thrown like a rag doll down a hill effectively. So I was taking the day off and had called you for some advice uh-huh. related to, to TV stuff. And I remember that yep. one of the lines, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you said, you know, luxury is novelty uh, or or something along those lines. And so... I, I, I hope I'm not misquoting you, but yeah, I could just have you clarify that by asking, you know, what really makes you feel alive? What are the things that really excite you? And what are the things that you find torturous yeah. <laughs> on, the fl- on the flip side?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, I remember that conversation. Uh, yeah, luxury is novel to you. Yeah, it's definitely connected to, I guess, what I've read about dopamine as a sort of mood-regulating neurotransmitter. So we get rewarded with dopamine every time we sort of partake in a new activity. So it rewards us. Originally, in terms of evolution, we were rewarded for spreading widely, right? So exploring and overcoming obstacles and mating lots of mates. (laughs) And today, we get that same dopamine hit every time our phone vibrates, every time somebody tweets at us. Every time that you know we, we get new followers on Twitter or, or go on a date with a new hot girl or meet just meet somebody new for the first time, see something we've never seen before. And, and when dopamine floods our system from, from what I understand, we, we, we come alive because it, it immediately arrests our attention and our senses are heightened and all of a sudden that which is of the everyday, which is stale and invisible, Is pushed aside and everything becomes as if seen for the first time. And there is a kind of rhapsody to that because, you know, we we all remember what it was like to be a kid and going to a toy store for the first time, seeing a roller coaster for the first time, like seeing an IMAX film for the first time. There's something kind of amazing when we can... Transcend what Michael Pollan calls the "been there's and done that's" of the adult mind. Right. In other words, jaded. Like to me, being jaded is almost like being dead. Like oh my yeah. god, like nothing impresses you because you feel like you feel like you've seen it all before, and you go through life with basically dark lenses on. You know, the curtains closed, no light gets in, no rhapsody gets in, and to me, that's that's death. And so. Yeah. When, you know, back to the idea of being like an addict or liking the being into cognitive ecstasy or as Carl Sagan used to say, being a wonder junkie, you know, notice that he combines the words wonder with the word junkie. Right. So it's like it's like he's like hitting his vein with a syringe of wonder because that's <laughs> that's how much he wants to be in awe. And when you look at a presenter like Carl Sagan, I think the reason we enjoy his work is because the guy's like in a reverential ecstatic state when he talks about the universe. I mean when he speaks of it, it's like he's coming. You know yeah, <laughs> he's, Intellectually. <laughs> he's having a mind gasm. And so I think it's just I it, it's that. It's it's that buzz that he's on when he speaks that I that I try to hack and and deconstruct and sort of create for myself. And it's interesting because this how do you has you go a lot about, of, sorry to interrupt, Yeah how do you yeah,
0: how do you go about doing that? I mean if if somebody wants to reclaim yeah. that sense of awe and discovery. Yeah. Uh, I'm just trying to pinpoint, like, do you have any routines, rituals, yeah. habitual yeah, things you say no to? I'd love to hear about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that goes back to, to a lot of the techniques, the tools and techniques that the guys, that Stephen Cotler and all the, and the guys talk about with with flow and with the flow of genome Project. So It's like, first of all, I mean, if you're a basketball player or if you're a philosophy junkie, the whole point is, the guy that loves basketball and it's his flow. You know, he treats every game like, like with the same joy and excitement as the first time he ever played basketball. You know what I mean? Like right. he has not lost that love. Or with golf, or with if you're a pilot with flying, like you want that child innocence and excitement about you know, combined with your expertise that you have acquired over many years and your skill set. So again, it's that idea of flow. But I think for me, it goes even deeper than that because I think because of the the spaces in which I like. Because first of all. My flow is when I'm like really in the moment and I'm really in that headspace when I get out of my own way. But I also have this kind of intellectual appreciation of what's going on. So on a meta level, when I'm in flow, I'm kind of excited about the fact that I'm in flow. Right, right. Those conditions. So I was reading this very interesting article um, by Timothy Leary and Ralph Metzer written in the 60s about programming the psychedelic experience. And they were talking specifically about the Harvard studies when they were giving LSD to the students and how to... Uh, basically create uh, discursive environments, create environments that would orient the tripper, the psychedelic tripper, during the trip. Like the the same way that a pilot has longitude coordinates when he's in the sky to orient him as as he is in flight, so too the psychedelic tripper needs to have signals set and setting to control the orientation of his trip. And what I thought was fascinating is that You know, you could take those tools and techniques and apply them to non-tripping minds, too. You know, normal consciousness is still affected by set and setting. You know, as Steven Johnson says, our thoughts shape our spaces and our spaces return the favor. So I think a lot of it has to do with the environments that you put yourself in, the people you surround yourself with, you know, the routines, the songs you listen to, all of these artful Aesthetic choices you make about your surroundings, I think work to induce the subjective spaces that we desire and those that don't incorporate those elements I think miss out on the power that they have to basically control their experience. No I, I agree with you completely. I think the
0: the wear of happiness is very under estimated, uh, the, the wear right. of right. your psychology. And, uh, I mean, that's why, you know, I'm in San Francisco for very specific reasons in the Bay area and, uh, just moved into a new place and I've been designing it with the help of a few folks from the ground up. I mean, just stripped down to the studs and really thinking about what type of intention, what type of emotional charge do I want in my surroundings? Perfect. Uh, it's a really fascinating, uh, Petri dish uh, to work with. And uh, on the musical side, what, what type of music do you listen to? Well,
1: I mean, I, to be honest, I or I'm most not, I, uh, most yeah, recently, let's just sure. say. I'm not much of a concert goer. So usually I discover music watching films. I, I'm, a, I'm a film junkie and I think cinema is the last altar left. You know, like that's yeah. where I go to completely lose myself, to have a divine experience. And usually because I'm so immersed when I watch films, I'm so completely surrendered and immersed in, and in a, almost a trance state that, that I'm very open to suggestion. So not only do I believe the, the sort of simulation of the film and it becomes reality for at least two hours, but whatever music is accompanying the film is usually something that's going to resonate and going to get in there in a very deep way. So I happen to be a big junkie for instrumental film scores. Like, oh my God, dude, especially film trailers. You can really find a lot of epic heart-thumping music in film trailers. But I would yeah. say the most recent score that I listen to almost daily is uh, the Inception soundtrack, oh, Hans nice. Zimmer. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I probably listen to the, the, the main track. It's called Time. I listen to that every day, multiple times a day, um, which I adore. But usually, it's yeah, it's, it's music that, that seems to find a way of always being able to elicit an emotion. And then that emotion will sort of place everything else into context. It frames everything else that's going on in my life. It soundscapes my reality. And that's, uh, I love that. Again, it's about wanting to, to be the author of the screenplay that is your life at any given moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And then wanting to take control of the pen. <laughs> instead oh, no. of just being a passenger. You know, <laughs> uh,
0: this is uh no, these are things that I've been, uh, I've been struggling might not be the right word, but re-examining uh, a lot in the last few months. I've had uh, quite a few life changes come about that have have led to some introspection, which I, I would like to think is a good thing. Um, and that's part of the reason this podcast has been so fun for me, is I get to sort of dig in with people I consider friends for whom it would be weird to sit down and give them like 60 questions otherwise uh, <laughs> in a unidirectional right. way. But uh, do you have any... Uh, what is what? What does the first hour of your day look like? When do you wake up? What is what happens in the first hour to two hours of your day? Do you have uh? Is that yeah? What, what does that look like? You, and you could just you know, it could be an example from today or this week, or it could just be in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the mornings for me are usually the uh, the non-daydreaming, non-flow kind of more mechanical part of my day. It's just like you know, breakfast coffee i do enjoy my triple espresso in the morning always over ice always with a little bit of milk and some stevia uh, i do like my caffeine in the morning uh you know caffeine shower exercise um i'm not much into like running or uh, that kind of stuff but I, I used to do a lot of rock climbing particularly like bouldering so uh, low altitude high impact and so part of the training for bouldering has persisted even when i I've moved to New York, but I, so I do, I have like one of those like pull-up bars in my house and I do, you know, a bunch of pull-ups every morning, a bunch of push-ups, you know, kind of with my own body weight, get that out of the way, you know, I'm really into healthy eating if I can. So like there's the brown rice, there's the sort of lean organic protein, the the legumes, the lentils, the beans, they get that out of the way. And then usually when that's done, then it's like, what am I going to do today to get flow? You know, I, I've, taken, I've taken care of biology. Now let's take care of my mind needs. Right. And, uh, and so then if it's, if it's, you know, if I have to do meetings or whatever, I try to probably do them all at like one or two in the afternoon. It's the time of day when I'm at my sort of ready to focus energy. Yep. If I have to shoot brain games, you know, then then I have to sort of work around that longer shoot schedule, which can be sometimes difficult and, and intense. Um, if I'm doing shots of awe, then, you know, the morning is like that. And then the afternoon will be like, you know, we'll do like a, a three hour shoot where we'll do like 10 or 12 episodes sometimes, find some gems in there. And, uh, and if none of those things are happening, then it's the same morning followed by an afternoon film followed by, you know, usually dinner with friends. Got it. And do you,
0: what, what time are you waking up and going to bed?
1: Uh, if i'm not shooting early morning stuff for nat geo then i actually like to usually sleep at least until 8 39 sometimes 9:30. i kind of i don't i don't like to just like wake up at 6 a.m if because for whatever reason i don't get sleepy usually till like 11 or 12 or even like one yeah. and i need my seven hours at least of sleep yeah. so it makes it so that if I have to get up really early, it's usually annoying because it means I have to fall asleep early so that I can get enough sleep, and that's going to be difficult because I usually like to watch films in bed at night before I go to sleep. So that's kind of how it works. Yeah. So it's, it's, this is really fascinating
0: to me because I uh, most of the writers I know are most productive when other people are asleep. So that either means they stay up really late and and write, which is usually my my want and my curse, uh, or they wake up really okay. early, five or six. But I've also met a handful of people who get their most productive work done in the middle of the afternoon when I consider myself pretty right. worthless. So it sounds like that's your sweet spot is uh, uh, sort of the the early to mid afternoon
1: yeah mind. usually it's that and then occasionally one of those will be so good and in such flow that it will keep going until 6 p.m today was one of those days like today i've been pretty much on and like just kind of in this kind of flow and you're working on the computer since since 11 30 and i haven't yeah. really taken a break except for a little walk so it just depends sometimes you find this resilience and this energy um other times i'm like you know Done. I have to put the stuff away. and Go see a movie or something. Yeah. Let me uh, just to
0: shift topics a little bit. Uh, sure. I'm so I'm so curious about the sort of the, the making of. You know how the different factors that have contributed to you being you. What is the what's the yeah. shittiest job that you've ever had? The crappiest job.
1: The crappiest job. Um, I had an internship. Uh, I guess it was after my first year of college or maybe actually the summer after I graduated high school, maybe before I went to college, it might've been, um, anyway, I, I was staying at the dorms at NYU and I was interning for a film production company. Cause of course I was studying film and I wanted to do movies and make documentaries. And, and so my cousin got me an internship and I remember it was like, yeah, you know, get us coffee. And I kind of freaked, freaked out and quit <sighs> after a week. Yeah. Yeah, I know. In yeah, retrospect, I'm not too proud of of like being so so quick to exit, but it was just uh, I don't know. I don't know. I just kind of felt like I I wanted right away to to be doing something vital that I felt was vital. And um other than that, my circumstances are a little bit different because growing up in Venezuela, it's not like in the US where, yeah. you know, it's difficult for kids to get like summer jobs and stuff. That just doesn't really happen in Venezuela cuz you know, we mostly lived behind like armed compounds because it's so South America, can be so dangerous, you know? Right, right. Um, so uh, I went to an international school and it was, it was really the focus, thankfully. My family was like, you know, just study what you love, study what you love, study what you love. And I was lucky enough that they helped me uh, with college and they allowed me to kind of indulge my intellectual and aesthetic um, sort of interests. And then from there, my first actual paid gig ever was Current believe it or not. Oh, no kidding. Wow. Yeah. Submitted that documentary that I did uh, my senior year of college. And uh, that was like, they offered me the gig to come like make content and host the series. And that was like the first time I was ever on salary. It's crazy. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: what do you have any, I'm just going to throw a couple of kind of rapid fire questions at you. Please. Uh, do you have any, uh, I'm sure you do. Let me rephrase that. What odd things do you collect or odd hobbies or obsessions do you have? I mean, for me it's like Japanese saddles or this weird thing that I'm into. Uh, cool. And, and I have a couple of, I have a couple of those kind of weird obsessions and I'm just curious yeah. if, if you have any, um, that people might not know about.
1: Um, let's see well i used to be like a manic collector of uh dvds and uh now obviously i don't do that anymore but i'm like kind of neurotic about my list of movies and like if i love a movie i probably watch it like 10 times in a row um and i want to kind of relive it and understand it and get under its skin um i also hmm, let me think what's another obsession uh trying to think. Okay, I'm kind of weird about traveling because I'm such a control freak. So every time I have to get on a plane, I usually do a lot of research beforehand to make sure that I'm flying on like the newest possible jet that that airline has. <laughs> so if it's like, you know, it has to be like on an A380 or like some brand new addition to the fleet because I can't stand flying on old airplanes because I feel like they probably have stress fractures on it or something. I just <laughs> I'm really neurotic about that. Um I'm really sensitive to jet lag. I'm almost like a little girl. Like if I have to go somewhere, I just, I need three days to recover before I can be, do anything even remotely productive. Cause Man, I, just, I don't get enough sleep. I'm just off. It's like such a pet peeve for me. Like even a little bit of being not enough sleep. I'm like, forget it. I can't handle consciousness. I just picked, like, uh, you've picked a hell of a job. For, for I know, that. I know,
0: I know, I know. Uh, so, um, so those are a couple. Okay, cool. Uh, what are the last movies that come to mind that you've watched 10 times, 10 plus times? What are, what are, what are, what are, some, what are some examples of those movies yeah. you've obsessed yeah. upon?
1: Um, Inception was definitely one of them. And pretty much everything that falls into the false reality genre. So yeah. these are the kind of films that make you question your perceptions of reality. So of course it includes films like The Matrix. Of course I would say that The Truman Show is there. I would say films like Existence, I would say films like Vanilla Sky, which was an underappreciated film that I really, really loved. Um, I would say Memento, absolutely. Uh, Most recently, uh, I saw a film called Enemy, uh, inspired by uh, the Dostoevsky The Double, that Uh, story about the sort of second self and the doppelganger, and uh, mm -hmm. Gyllenhaal is in it, I believe amazing like false reality what is real I kind of love films that have that unsettling quality to them because they make you feel a little schizo they're kind of like they make you question everything you thought you knew and that unsettling feeling makes this film even more immersive so it becomes more like a journey that you're taking with that character as he sort of takes that has that mystic psychotic collapse almost you know like and and, and, and then passage through madness and then he kind of makes the return hopefully at the end so it's like films that take you on a very, very much Joseph Campbell hero's journey. Those are big for me. Cool. No, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Uh, yeah. Do you consider yourself more
0: of a, a risk taker or a cautious planner? I mean, even though you brought up the airplane research, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I still I, I wonder how you consider yourself. Uh, where I mean, where would you put yourself on that spectrum?
1: I would... Put myself as a uh, <laughs> recovering planner. No, um, I, I, uh, I definitely, I'm a bit envious, but in the best possible way, of people that are really, really, really free spirits. Yeah. Um, only because I, I, I aim to, I'm attracted to the the, the, the the vitality and the freedom of the free spirit. Uh, all the girls I've ever been in love with have been bohemian, manic pixie dream girls, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they've been they've been free spirits. and uh, and I think the reason I'm attracted to that is because I have that battle between what's very much a, a sort of control freak and and somebody who's really serious and you know didn't really like going to parties until you know, late in high school and didn't really like socializing and doing small talk and just having fun. Cause I was such a serious guy. I wanted to be with my books and talking about serious things. And, and then again, and then, and then I, I sort of felt like sometimes I would miss out on the joy that free spirits were privy to. They were just like, they just let go. They just have a good time everywhere, no matter what they do. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to control when I have a good time. You know? yeah. <laughs> so been a, It's been an interesting like dichotomy. Like, you know, so I, I don't know. I plan a lot. I even plan the moments of letting go no way. Right. It's weird. I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I haven't decided. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. So I have this this uh,
0: this identical internal <laughs> conflict uh, and it's it's been fascinating. I mean, it doesn't it obviously doesn't clearly split down gender lines, but I, I yeah. do I think it's particularly and maybe this is just uh, a bias because most of my close friends um, in SF are, are male, but it seems to be a common male challenge is yeah. the, uh, the sort of uh, the relinquishing of control versus the exerting right. of control. Right. Uh, right. So, right. So, so on that, I mean, as as you've gotten older, uh, how old are you now? Thirty-two. Yeah, you're a young guy. <clears throat> how old are you? Uh, Thirty-six, man. I'm uh, uh, just just ordered my walker.
1: Um, 36 <laughs> uh, years.
0: You're, you're a baby too,
1: dude.
0: I know, and the but you've you've seen a lot of worlds and been exposed to a lot of things, particularly in the last few years. I, I think yeah. you've been uh, uh, and you've also had the experience, of course, coming from Venezuela to the U.S. Yeah. Uh, what, is be- what has become more important to you in the last few years, and what has
1: become less important to you? I want to build my life around flow states, and I think what I've acquired over the last few years—I guess perhaps you could say—the experience, maybe the confidence, maybe the evidence that uh, that I can trust my own intuition when it comes to being successful and the content that I want to make and the content that will get me where I want to get to. Um, because you know, the documentary that I was that I made when I got the gig at Current was very similar to what I do now with Shots of Awe. Right. So that documentary got me the gig at Current. So there we go. My intuition, my willingness to think outside the box and do something that was in my own voice got me the gig at Current. Once I got to Current, they tried to tame me a little bit. They were like, don't move your hands so much. Let's make it into a more polished presenter. And uh, you know, I was able to ride that, thankfully, because I had a co-host who was my college buddy. And we were able to kind of keep each other company through the uh, difficulties of being like, tamed and trained. Um, But nonetheless, after four years there, it was flatlining. The network was flatlining and I was flatlining. And it was only when I left and decided again to go back to the content that I wanted to make and follow my own gut was all of a sudden where the videos that I was doing on the internet came out of. And those are the ones that have led to traveling the world and keynotes and partnering with Discovery Digital for Shots of Awe and National Geographic for brain games. And everything has come when I completely dove in fearlessly and made the content that I needed to make as a a kind of, as an artist, like, you know, I was just like, I got out of my own way. I stopped doubting myself, I guess. And it was really what I learned even. And so if the, the world the universe winked at me when I did that, so to speak. And those winks were my way of you know realizing, okay, like that's my barometer, that's my compass. More of that, less of the other stuff. And so you'll probably see me working towards finessing how that plays out over the next several months, you know? Cool.
0: Can't wait to see it. Well speaking of speaking of which, uh well let, I'll tell you what, let me do a couple of rapid fire Questions um, and then uh, I want to hear what you're currently working on and most excited about. But um, just just for the uh, this, the sake of of novelty, uh, if you if you were to lose either your sight or your ability to hear, which do you think you would miss the most and why?
1: Wow, man! Now you are amputating my vitality. <laughs> That's the name of this podcast, actually. I uh, I spend <laughs> a lot of my time thinking about how to augment my senses, how to give myself additional modes to perceive reality, to enhance my perception of reality. So to actually consider cutting one off, um, I I don't know if I can answer that. I don't know if I could pick one to get rid of, um, to be honest. It's a difficult question for me to answer, yeah. (laughs) No problem. Uh, Do you, now you've,
0: you've kept track of a lot of music, a lot of movies. If you had to pick for the time being a theme song for yourself, what would it be? Wow,
1: theme song for myself.
0: Yeah, what's awesome. your like ring entrance music?
1: <laughs> damn, 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 damn. Yeah, I'll go with Time from Inception. Uh, it's it's right. really it's really like part of my uh part of my sort of yeah, it's part of my day. Okay. <laughs>
0: if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be
1: Uh, to be able to, I guess, dilute or lessen uh, the anxiety that I often have to deal with just with day to day things. Like I I become unnecessarily anxious about stupid logistical type things, you know, that just like annoy me and make me anxious and just occupy my head. Yeah, yeah. Here, here. Uh, I second that motion. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, when you hear the word "successful," who's the first person that comes to mind, and why?
1: Wow. Um, Chris Anderson, curator of TED. Ah, okay. He, yeah, he, yeah. He, he, he. I'm i I'm kind of. I mean, I'm a convert. I've drank the Kool Aid. I love TED, it's particularly like the main event, like what that that gathering, that spa for the mind. And it's funny because I feel like Chris Anderson is somebody who's infinitely curious. He still has that childlike awe and curiosity. And I think the whole Ted Enterprise is ultimately about his desire to bring in all these beautiful, brilliant people together and curate and basically experience design five days of intellectual bliss. Mm -hmm. You know, and uh, and so the the fact that he gets to like do that and help build that is such a uh, to me, it's like such success. It's a hell of a job. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So so aside aside putting uh, aside from Chris, uh, if you could study with any expert in the world, who would you study
1: with and what would what would you be studying? Wow. I'd love to spend some time with. Danny Boyle, the director, um, mm-hmm. the guy has done such diverse films, but they all share a searing intensity, a quality of engagement of the body mind that I think is just his signature, whether it's 127 Hours or Slumdog Millionaire or even that classic The Beach that with DiCaprio film that he did 10 years ago that people didn't seem to love but I thought it was awesome um Danny Boyle man I just I want to sit and sit with him while he makes music for his movies I want to know how he edits and how he puts the songs to the moments and what he's trying to create
0: cool that is a good answer
1: uh yeah I, I,
0: we, you and I need to have some wine sometime to talk about, uh, talk yeah, about, man. Talk about movies because I'm, I'm just getting back into film. And I, it's one of the few things that can sort of take me away from the internal dialogue and sure. port, port me somewhere else. So we'll, we'll come back to that another time. Sure. Uh, let's do if, it. If, if you could offer your younger self, let's just say your 20-year-old self or 25-year-old self, uh, you know, one
1: piece of advice, uh, what would it be? My younger self? Yep. Um, yeah, I guess I would. Um, I would encourage my younger self, my younger self, to to just not be afraid. Right? To to realize that a lot of the things that were, I don't want to say crippling anxieties, but definitely ever pervasive fears in my life growing up. A lot of them were unnecessary. A lot of time was wasted. A lot of energy was wasted being worried. Yeah, and uh, I wish I could just like let go of that and have uh, encourage myself to just let go a little more.
0: Yeah, who was it, Twain? who said uh, I have suffered a great many hardships, most of which never happened. Something.
1: Like <laughs> so, there you go.
0: Something along those lines. There you go. Uh, there you go. Awesome, man. Well, why don't uh, why don't you tell? everyone where they can uh, number one what you're up to and most excited about at the moment and uh where they can learn more about you and see see your videos which i encourage everyone to do
1: great man thank you um yeah so at the moment uh we just finished another season of brain games and uh there'll be new episodes coming out in july and then probably shooting another season and at that point as well hopefully with a few creative uh, upgrade as we evolve the show and continue to make it relevant to people. But uh, particularly, in the meantime, I'm uh, please check out my shots of awe videos. YouTube.com/slash shots of awe. A W E. Or you can Google them. I, I'm uploading videos every week or every other week lately. And my most recent one is called To Be Human is to Be Transhuman. And it's about our use of technology to literally overcome our obstacles. And I, I, for that, that's my philosophical soapbox. And so I think if people want to have like a head trip and like a mind jam with me, like go check out those videos. And um, and then follow me on Twitter at Jason Silva, S-I-L-V-A. And that way they can keep up with uh, all the new video releases, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, I think
0: uh, I want to certainly be respectful of your time. You're over on the East Coast. You're in New York City at the moment. Yes, sir.
1: Yes. sir. Now, how did
0: did you choose? Why did you choose New York
1: City? Uh, or did New York um, City choose
0: you? Tell, tell me. About yeah, you had I, there.
1: I I haven't chosen it yet. I just <laughs> I was in LA. <laughs> I was in LA for five years, and. I had my apartment in L.A. and I would come to New York a lot uh, when I was at Current. And when I quit Current, I was dating a girl who had a place in New York. So I would come to New York a lot and crash at her place. And we were a little bit bicoastal for a while. Um, after that ended, I gave up my L.A. house and I was like, I kind of want to like be like a nomad for a while. And I put some of my stuff in storage and sent some stuff down to Miami with my where my brother is at. And then I did a little bit of traveling and then I started doing all this speaking and then I got brain games. Now, brain games was in New York. So I kind of planned to eventually get a place here. But in the meantime, I've been kind of, you know, leveraging my friendships around the city. And I have, one of my friends has an extra bedroom that I've been crashing out when I'm here. But because I travel so much, it doesn't matter. Right and uh, and I've yet to actually commit to a place, believe it or not. So I'm All I'm right. I'm temporarily without a perma home. <laughs> well, you you can uh, let the wind take you where it may. I guess that's yeah uh, wherever flow well, may require you to be. Dude, I saw a documentary last night called Maiden Trip about a 14 year old Dutch girl who sailed around the world by herself. Wow, It was like absolute. Like I couldn't. I was like completely blown away. She's fourteen. She had to fight the Dutch government to let her go. To you know, and it was like, but it was. It's like insane. She took a camera with her, and then this filmmaker like turned it into this doc, and it was just. And I was just like, maybe I want to move to the sailboat one day, do something like that. <laughs> well, I have a buddy who does it uh, right, uh, right off of San
0: Francisco Bay. He lives in a boat, so if we can. Wow, <laughs> we can make it happen. Uh, wow. Jason, I really appreciate the time, man. I find you inspiring, and uh, so I find
1: you inspiring, dude. You know, I used oh, to re- I read Four Hour Work Week years ago in Point Doom in Malibu, and I remember reading it and feeling like you have hacked it. You have figured it out. You rented an apartment in Argentina, and you were like, or making it happen. And that 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 template. stayed with me, dude. I remember I was very affected by your book. I was like, this guy's got it figured out. Well, thanks,
0: brother. Uh yes. well well we need to definitely have a, a, a proper long dinner with some vino. Uh, but uh, we'll make we'll make that happen and I look uh, forward to it, man. In the meantime, I'll let you get back to your evening. And thanks for thanks for being on the podcast.
1: I'll talk to you hey, soon. Thanks for having me, man. It's an honor. If you want more of The Tim Ferriss Show, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to 4hourblog.com. Where you'll find an award-winning blog, tons of audio and video interview stories with people like Warren Buffett and Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park, the books, plus much, much more. Follow Tim on Twitter. at twitter.com slash T-Ferriss. That's T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tim Ferriss. Until next time, thanks for listening.